This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you very much, Roger. Good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way for our weekly visit about what I always call the most important industry on the planet, producing food, the agricultural community in the United States and around the world. And speaking of around the world, I was just checking a news release here that says, starting today, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue will be in Japan and then to Korea to meet with his counterparts in that part of the world, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along this morning. Max Armstrong will uh, talk about uh, crop conditions, and he'll also talk markets. And Jim Fazell is going to be here to talk gardening and lawns and trees and everything else. I think four decades now that Jim and I have been visiting about lawn and garden and tree situations here on the Saturday morning show. And we look forward to hearing from Jim again in just a few minutes. But uh, some of the other highlights, of course, Every day this week, Japan or the uh, China-U.S. trade discussions have been one of the leading headlines, and it seems like it'll be that way forever. It seems like it has been that way forever, and we'll talk more about the two-day meeting that took place in Washington, D.C. Thursday and yesterday. No resolution to the trade dispute. But they did agree to meet again to continue the discussion, did not send a date, but uh, they will be doing the next get-together face-to-face in Beijing. So a lot to talk about this morning, plus the uh, stocks report that the Department of Agriculture released uh, on, uh, well, yesterday. And, boy, we need the trade because we have a bin full of corn and wheat and soybeans that we've got to market somewhere. So, a lot to talk about here on the Saturday morning show, and we're going to uh, uh, check in with Jim Fazell when we come back here on the Saturday morning show. Well, let's say good morning to Jim Fazell, who is... All of the garden planted, all of the flowers in bloom, and he's ready for harvest. Is that right, Jim? <laughs> you must have woke, woken up dreaming this morning. <laughs> yeah, I Finally, think I did. <laughs> yeah, we did have a, a couple of uh, drying days here, but my gosh, the amount of moisture we've had is just unbelievable. Uh, and actually, before we get into anything, Orion, tomorrow is Mother's Day. And yes. I want to just mention the fact that we do need to think about mothers uh, um, and some of the things we can do for them. Uh, I always think about bouquets of cut flowers. These are easy to handle. People can can drop them off at the door. You don't have to put them in a vase or anything because moms usually have those. But if uh, if you have some and you want to help arrange them, you can do that as well. Potted plants work really well. Azaleas, hydrangeas, and fuchsias are, are popular right now. 
if you want something for the garden outdoors, a rosebush or maybe even a rhododendron, if you've noticed they're in bloom right now, absolutely gorgeous. Another thing I like to think about is sometimes moms need to get out and, and visit uh, to see some of these things if they don't have them in their yard, especially if they're locked up in an apartment during during the uh, most of the year. A visit to the Botanic Garden and to the Arboretum. Botanic Garden, the bulbs are just about in full blossom out there and down at the Arboretum. I think the crab apples are probably either in full bloom or just about to that. So uh, both of these should be in their glory right now. Now, let's get to some gardening facts. Did you know that nearly half of the homes in the U.S. have gardens? 25% or one in four adults garden as a hobby. You know, I, I didn't realize it was that many because... Sometimes in these urban areas you don't see many gardens, but they're out there. A third of all Americans feel like they're in competition to have the nicest-looking grounds around their houses, and I can understand that because that's something that we all like to do. Uh, And adults who garden, here's something that's really, really interesting. Adults who garden more than an hour a week are 66% likely to suffer heart attacks than our couch potatoes. Now, if you don't like to go walking and so forth, get out and do some gardening. If you're doing a gardening an hour a week, that's maybe cutting your lawn. That's really helpful. Uh, and Americans spend an average of about four hours a week on their lawns and gardens during the summer months. And uh, 20%, one-fifth of all our gardeners uh, spend more than six hours a week doing uh, doing gardening. That's amazing, numbers of people. Number one hobby in the United States. Uh, let's get down specifically to lawns. They are the number one gardening project, of course. That's the easiest to do. About 25 million acres of lawns and over 100 million, dollar, 100 million homes in the U.S. have lawns. That's a quarter acre each. Uh, 25, millions use lawn, 25 million homes use lawn care. And that's a high number, too. That, that doesn't give you any exercise. I guess you can go out and watch. Uh, what do we get for all that money that we spend on those lawns? Well, a, mel- a well-maintained lawn adds about 15 to 20% of, to the property value. It a pri- provides an attractive setting for the home. It gives you an attractive surface for outdoor activities. And uh, they catch carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide from the air, converting them into oxygen. And actually, 625 square feet of lawn, that's 25 by 25, provides enough oxygen for one person for a whole day. People don't even talk about that, but that's a fact. Uh, it has The average lawn has a cooling effect of about 10 tons of air conditioning. Lawns trap tons of dirt and dust that would get into the atmosphere. And they trap, trap the rainwater, which is important this year, preventing runoff, erosion, and so forth. And uh, that water, of course, goes to where you can, where it does uh, get in the reservoir down in the soil, can be reused by your plants and your lawns later in the in the season. Now let's talk specific, <clears throat> specifically about lawns. Uh, we did touch on them briefly last week, but we spend a little need to spend a little more time talking about them this morning, a little more specifically. They've been green and growing for about six weeks or so. Uh, Moisture has really been plentiful throughout our area, so we've had a tremendous spurt of lush growth. But now, once the ground dries out, we need to do some repairs if we haven't done so already. Uh, Winter repairs, winter damage repair, and damage from this flood that we've had, the flooding that we've had. You need to cut out the dead turf, scratch up dead areas, and you can either sod, in which case... uh, uh, that can be put down throughout the season without any trouble as long as you have water. Or you can seed. I prefer seeding. If you do seed at this time of year, just scratch up the area, sow the seed. Uh, I turn a leaf rake upside down and drag it across those areas to work the seed in a little bit. Then you need to cover it up with some kind of either straw or one of these mats that you can buy at the garden centers and so forth just to keep it moist until it begins growing. Keep mowing at two and a half inches. 
time now to do some edging since the grass has been growing and starting to creep into the borders, uh, into the walks and curbs. Use an edger there and in the, uh, in the beds and around the beds, shrub borders and so forth, uh, use a sharp spade to edge those so they look neat. Uh, fertilizer is necessary now if the grass is green and good, uh, losing its green good color. Uh, if it's losing its color already and you applied fertilizer earlier this year, that means it's run out. And with the amount of moisture and the amount of, of leaching that we've had, that's a good possibility. So pay attention to, to the color of your grass. Broadleaf weeds are beautiful right now. Dandelion diggers, I've got one that belonged to my grandfather. It still works. Uh, they still work the best. It gives you some exercise, lets you bend over so you can, can uh, dig these little rascals out. Uh, broadleaf herbicides will work as well. Incidentally, we see a lot of people that are using Roundup or glyphosate to spot treat these. That's not what it's intended for. It will kill the grass as long as, as well as the weeds that you're trying to kill. So read the labels on these things and apply accordingly. Uh, crabgrass preventer, it's a little bit late now to put it down. Uh, there are some insects out there, sod webworms. Uh, we see some birds in our yard that are feeding on these things, but the wet weather has caused diseases of these. And I think if, uh, if you've got, uh, a moist, beyond moisture that we've had, you don't have to worry about sod webworms until later in the year because they're going to be diseased and it's going to kill them off. Grubs, uh, winter mortality may have occurred and, uh, we have enough lush grass everywhere that they're not going to cause you any problems unless you see skunks digging. And what they're doing is going after the grubs. They're not going to hurt anything, but you're going to go, have to go out in the morning and push the divots back in where they've lifted it. Um, diseases, some are ring and patch diseases that we had a lot of last year. Interesting. Those are fungus diseases. And uh, two things that you need to do. You need to do thatch control if you have a thatchy lawn. And if you've had problems with these diseases, and they, they cause sometimes ring spots or sometimes serpentine dead areas throughout the lawn, uh, there are some fungicides that will, will work. Propiconazole is one that works, but it needs to be applied when the temperature of the soil is 68 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning, two days in a row. Pretty specific, but that's what it needs. Watering, we don't need to do any more watering unless we, we get into a drop period. Don't need to worry about that for some time, I'm sure. Anyway, a uh, couple things we need to remember. First of all, um, gardening is not sinful. It's not fattening. It's not disruptive to the family. Everyone can do it, and you can sure make it fun. It doesn't have to be a chore. It can be fun as well. One last thing. Got a question. Why did my forsythia bloom down at the ground but not at the top? Flower buds were not winter hardy. When they were protected by the snow, they bloomed beautifully. They didn't kill the plant. The plant's going to go ahead and grow just normally. And if we don't have this kind of weather next year, we're not going to see the forsythias failing to bloom as they have this year. So no forsythia blooms this year? Is that what you're saying? Right. Forsythia, that's the nice yellow shrubs that we see around. Right. Uh, they're, they're flowering, but it's all down below the snow line, maybe a foot up from the ground, and you don't see any above that. Because the flower buds themselves were not winter hardy, but the, but the foliage and the, flower, or the uh, leaf buds are hardy just as well. Um, doesn't make, it, make any difference to them how cold it gets because they're going to survive. The only problem is that we don't have flowers this year. And if we don't have a winter like this next year, we're going to have plenty of flowers next year. So just wait. Well, I'll uh, repeat your, your orders this morning. Have fun because that's what it should all be about. So I uh, hope to 
visit with you again next week and uh, keep us posted on what's going on in the yard, in the garden, and the trees. Visit Look with. Forward. Look forward to it, Orion. Thank you. Okay, a visit with Jim Fazell. He is our veteran specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 24 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Saturday morning, and yesterday the Department of Agriculture issued supply-demand numbers for the May report, and we have a ton of grain. The USDA projected corn-ending stocks at the end of the current marketing year at 2,485,000,000 bushels. That's above the highest in a range of analyst estimates. USDA's forecast for 2019-20 soybean-ending stocks, 970,000,000 bushels above the average estimate in a Reuters survey of analysts, and that means that July corn and July wheat fell to contract lows after the data was released. July soybeans also set a contract low before cutting their losses. But I always like to look at uh, the comments of some of the veteran traders, and uh, one from Jack Scoville with the Price Futures Group said, the numbers are negative, especially for corn. It's mostly on the production side. USDA has gotten pretty aggressive estimate for corn because they're using trend line yields so the production estimate is a little higher and uh, another uh, analyst said this report doesn't scare the shorts out of the market that's for sure now we'll need to look at planting and weather to try to get a sense of balance with these numbers starting with that corn supply number One other analyst said USDA for new crop U.S. corn ending stocks considerably higher than expected. They see exports for next year down 25 million bushels in the corn area. Then you look at the soybean side and they increase exports by 175 million bushels over this year. I don't understand the methodology. Why are we increasing soybean exports and decreasing corn exports. Those are just some of the comments of traders and analysts after the release of the supply-demand report yesterday. A headline that I haven't seen for a couple of decades at least, out of Wisconsin yesterday. The headline says, Wisconsin Sheriff says stray voltage may have killed cows. I remember back in the 80s and 90s, that was a major concern for dairy farmers in Wisconsin, stray voltage. Well, this story goes on to say that uh, it could be stray electrical voltage contributing to the deaths of about two dozen cows on a farm near Almina, Wisconsin. Barron County Sheriff Chris Fitzgerald said in a release, the cows died over the winter. He said all other animals on the farm were in good health and were moved to another location until the stray voltage issue can be looked into and corrected. The sheriff said there appears to be no violations and the owners of the cows are cooperating with authorities on that one. 
But stray voltage was a big story on Wisconsin dairy farms uh, back in uh, the last century, and it was kind of surprising to me to see it once again come to the forefront in that dairy farm in Wisconsin. It'll be interesting to see what they're able to determine uh, is the ultimate cause of those cow deaths up there. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue is in Tokyo today, and he'll be participating in the G20 Agriculture Ministers Meeting and he'll be engaging with his counterpart directors of agriculture on important issues that are facing agriculture around the world. He will also deliver a keynote address at the G20 Innovation and Agriculture Seminar today, and then he will speak at Cotton Council International's annual Cotton Day. That'll happen on May 14th. And he'll be spending time with his counterparts, and uh, he'll be also going on to Korea, and he will be there to, uh, again, do pretty much the same. One thing he's going to do on Wednesday of next week, Secretary Purdue will speak with the Seoul National University students to engage future leaders in agriculture and participate in a discussion on innovative agricultural technology. And he'll wind up his visit in Korea, attending a reception hosted by U.S. Ambassador Harry Harris to recognize partners in the U.S.-Korea agricultural relationship. So the secretary will be trying to build more volume in those foreign markets for U.S. agricultural products. And still to come here on the Saturday Morning Show, Max Armstrong checks in with the weekly BASF crop report. And uh, Max will also talk to a market analyst about what's going on if it's possible to figure that out these days but uh, max and his market guest will be with us here uh, just a little bit later uh, always interesting to see the comments and the quotes from the participants in the china u.s trade talks yesterday chinese vice premier liu he said that trade talks with the united states went quote fairly well End of quote. And earlier in the day, U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen had described the negotiations as, quote, constructive, end of quote. But no agreement, and so the meetings will continue. No date selected, but they'll be going back to Beijing later on to continue the discussions on trade talks between China and the United States. Right now, time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this morning, taking another look at my congressional scorecard. You may recall several weeks ago on Samuelson Says, I listed items on my congressional scorecard that are not being handled by Congress. While they continue spending millions of our tax dollars and thousands of work hours investigating, 
they still are doing little or no legislating, which is why we sent them to Washington in the first place. And some of you have inquired recently what has happened to your congressional scorecard. Well, I think you pretty well know, and the answer is little or nothing. Although we did agree on one of the issues I raised, dealing with funding for renovation of infrastructure, railroads, airports, waterways, highways, and bridges across the United States, the White House and Congress finally agreed on the need for funding. They even mentioned a dollar amount. But what about the other items I mentioned? We still have no legislation to approve the Mexico-Canada-U.S. trade agreement. We have no trade agreement with China, with the European Union, or with Japan. And we are still waiting for legislation dealing with immigration, particularly on our southern border where we need an easier way to get legal workers across the border to work in the produce fields in the southwest but at the same time keep illegal aliens from being able to enter the U.S. across that border. These are just a few of the issues that we need Congress to handle, and they aren't doing it. Five years ago, I never thought I would ask for term limits for the legislative branch. We have it for the executive branch, And I am now convinced we need it for the legislative branch. So members of the House and Senate start doing what we sent them to Washington to do, to legislate. Members of Congress need to know it's not a lifelong job or career. I would begin that conversation with a limit of two six-year terms for the Senate and two four-year terms for House members. You may have other numbers, and I would be interested in hearing them. Those are my thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. Glad to have you along with us here on WGN Radio Chicago or wherever you are in the world with today's technology. We get responses from South America and uh, from Asia Always fascinating to see where our voices go these days, far more distance than off the transmission towers, and that's been one of the big changes in technology. So anyway, let's get ready to uh, check in with Max Armstrong. As a matter of fact, I think Max is ready because he's uh, in the studio with his guest, and good morning, Max. Let's see what uh, path John Zanker will take us down this weekend. John, it's good to have you here. J.C. Zanker and Company, Lafayette, Indiana. It's been a while since you've been here. We're glad to have you back. What do you think about this lack of planting progress? What will the weekly crop bulletin show us Monday? I think we could be pushing towards 40%. It was at 23% last week. Uh, we sure haven't done much in Illinois. Uh, Indiana's just getting getting started. We're, we, we've seen some pretty good progress in Iowa, Nebraska, maybe even southern Minnesota. So maybe 40%. That might be optimistic. What do you think is happening to the yield per acre here as we're moving on through the month of May? We start to look past the, the 10th of May, and people talk about yield reductions right across the heart of the Corn Belt. 
Well, we've seen some years where we've planted late, and uh, we're, we're not in too bad a shape assuming the weather from here on out is good, and that, that can be a problem. It's not been a problem for the last five years, so we've gotten comfortable uh, that our yields will rebound. But uh, I, think, uh, I think everything would show that it's better to plant corn on April 20th than it is on uh, May 20th. A friend of mine said, I remember vividly 2009. He said that was an agonizing planting year, and that was on his farm in east-central Illinois. But he said things turned out pretty well after all that year. That, that, is that a year? Is it an apt comparison to go back 10 years? I, I think it's, uh, it, it's yes. I would say that we ended up with a record yield in 2009. Uh, we had good yields in Illinois. We had good yields in Indiana and Iowa. So we can do it. But we also had some corn planted in April that year, and then we ran into a rough stretch in late April and early May. So uh, I think this one's a little more serious than, than what we would have seen in 2009. And some other times we might be looking closer at shifting acreage from corn into soybeans. But with the market being what it is right now and the, the potential for soybeans being what it is, our farmers going to be real, real reluctant to make that change. Well, right now we have cash soybean prices in most areas with a 7 in front of them, so there's not a lot of incentive to make that switch. I think we'll continue to plant corn as long as we can. I I would look for a shift maybe of a million acres uh, from from corn to soybeans. Is the concern over fertilizer and crop protection chemicals already applied that that would make it difficult to go from corn to soybeans? Well, we had, we, we've had a lack of that, certainly last fall and this spring. So I think that shift, uh, and we typically see it if it's needed, we, we find a way to do it. So I don't think that's a, I don't think it's affecting enough acres right now to be a major issue. I've been looking back a couple of months to sales of soybeans to China, and there have been some pretty sizable sales, but hasn't shaken the market at all, has it? No, we're actually running way, way, way behind where we need to be. I mean, we're, we're, we really have a problem. The USDA, I think, has been reluctant to lower that uh, estimate until we see if we're going to have an agreement with the Chinese. Right now, we're 400 million behind where we need to be to make the USDA's estimate of 1.875 billion uh, in order to come remotely close to that, we have to do way better than the five-year average from this point. I don't see that happening. I, I, I think that uh, ultimately we're going to be at least $200 million short of that. So that goes directly to the carryout. So we're looking at a 1.1, maybe $1.2 billion carryout scenario for this crop here. We focused quite a bit on the trade war, but what about African swine fever? What will that do to demand for soybean, soybean meal in China? Well, it's it's having a horrible effect, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Uh, we're really looking at the biggest demand destruction in history. Uh, and that sounds pretty dramatic, but this yeah. is rather dramatic. Uh, Chinese now are estimating losses at 20%, and that includes 20% of their sow herd. Uh, we really believe it's probably twice that much. I believe the CEO of Tyson put out 150 to 200 million head. That's roughly 30 to 45%. Um, China is the destination for 60% of our exports in a typical year. Um, that number is going to be uh, really pulled down. I'm, I'm really concerned about what lies ahead for soybean exports. There was a headline a few weeks ago that China could not replenish the pork supply if they took all they could get from us and a lot of other countries in the world. They'll be ramping up their poultry uh, production. That's just not going to be enough. Uh, 
when you produce half of the world's swine herd, it's pretty hard to replace that. So between Europe and um, South America, North America, we'll 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 be shipping a lot of pork. This is going to be good for for our pork producers. And a lot of people in this country still don't realize that China, far and away, is the world's biggest pork producer and the world's biggest corn uh, pork consumer. Yeah, the numbers are staggering. This is why this this uh, is very. It's a very dangerous situation. I'm very concerned about what lies ahead for us. On the subject of China buying from us, let's talk about corn for a moment. And I'm concerned here in the United States about us powering down our ethanol production. I'm, I'm a little worried about it. You know, I see not as much choice available to the consumer, it seems, as, as we'd love to see at the pump. But what's happening with China? How close are they to really ratcheting up their ethanol production and their need for more corn? Well, their goal is 10 percent uh, by 2020. So it's 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 happening quickly. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty bullish uh, the opportunities we have uh, with China on corn. I, I think we're going to be shipping them a lot of corn. I think you'll see something similar to what we've seen in soybeans uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. I, I think it's on a scale that big eventually. How soon? Well, I, it needs to be soon. Uh, <laughs> we're not, it, it needs to be soon. Uh, it, right now we can sell corn into uh, central China cheaper than they can buy corn from their farmers. So I think it's going to happen fairly soon, within, within weeks. With the challenges of the soybean market, if nothing changes here in terms of the price, will the South American producers scale back their bean production in the growing season ahead? I don't think it'll happen this year. I think I think it's we're really going to have to see some price destruction, and I think that that's probably going to happen. If we have a good crop, um, we could see a six in front of futures on October first. So, ouch. Yes. So that that starts putting pressure on the South Americans at that point. That's ugly. That's ugly. That puts a lot of pressure on the the Americans, not just the oh, South Americans. Yes. I'm, again, I'm I'm really worried about what's what's going on with this swine fever thing. It's it's a major thing. John, it's great to have you here. Thank you. We appreciate your visit. It's good to be here. Thanks. John Zanker, J.C. Zanker, Lafayette, Indiana, joining us here at the desk this weekend. And thank you to John, and thank you to you, Max, and don't go too far away because we need to check in for our weekly BASF crop report, and I know you'll be standing by to uh, to talk about that. Uh, something else that's coming up next year, but time to take action now. I'm talking about the Commodity Classic and booking space on the trade show floor at Commodity Classic, which is America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused agricultural and educational experience, will open to new exhibitors next Wednesday, May 15th, at 9 a.m. Now, the 2020 Commodity Classic will not be held until uh, February 27 through February 29 of next year in San Antonio, Texas. But exhibit space at that show, because it is so popular, is already limited. And for a new exhibitor to get space on that exhibit floor is a challenge. But prospective new exhibitors can visit the website commodityclassic.com. That's commodityclassic.com. And you can check that and view the floor plan for 2020 
to identify potential locations for your booth. The exhibitor application and contract, again, will be available on May 15th for the Commodity Classic for those of you who like to make your plans early. The 2019 Commodity Classic, incidentally, in Orlando, Florida, attracted 9,120 registrants. That's the third largest crowd in the event's 23-year history. And the uh, total uh, was 4,528 farmer attendees, the second largest farmer number ever. Again, commodityclassic.com will get you the information you need to be an exhibitor at Commodity Classic. Coming up to 10 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and right now, let's get back to Max Armstrong. Yes, Orion, we want to track down our BASF representative to get a report out there on what's happening or isn't happening in the fields. And out there is Technical Service Representative Kurt Martins. There along the highways and byways somewhere. I know you travel a lot, Kurt, and you get to see a lot of fields, and you get to see a lot of full ditches and high rivers and streams, as we talked about last week. Uh, Is it still pretty visible out there how much water we've been getting on such a regular basis? It still is, Max. It still is. Uh, some areas are, are maybe getting the benefit of a little bit drier weather and, and starting to get some work done, but there's still some other areas that are that are pretty darn saturated. What are growers telling you? When you talk to the producers, what kind of feedback are you getting from them? Well, they're, they're getting answers to get the crop in. There's there's definitely a lot of growers that, that do have some corn in the ground and, and some beans. Uh, it seems like a lot of those folks might have got ahead of the sprayers, so they're getting a lot of questions on, hey, my crop is planted, it's in the ground, it's starting to come out, I don't have it sprayed, so what do I do now? It's going to be a busy spraying season, isn't it? I mean, everything's going to have to happen quickly, it seems. It, it sure is. Good news is is there's a lot of good options for uh, crops that, that didn't get uh, treated with herbicide yet, especially from BASF. You know, on the corn side, we, we can we can go with Armazon Pro because there's a lot of flexibility for that, that, that corn that's out of the ground now that it hasn't been sprayed yet. And then on the soybean side, boy, if a guy's, guy's got extended soybeans, we can do a lot of different things with Ingenium, and we can add residuals like Zidua to that to, to provide that long-term residual to go go along with the burn down that we can get with, with the Ingenium. You do see a field now and then where the corn is up uh, two or three inches. N- not many of those, are there? There's there's a few here and there. Uh, I, I do cover a little bit of Iowa. There's a few more on that that side of the river, but but they're starting to, they're starting to peek through. The, those guys, especially that got the corn in early in that that middle of April time frame, it's it's coming out of the ground, and it, to be honest, it's, it's looking pretty good. Excellent. One thing uh, I noticed uh, some farmers who just can't get into the fields are doing everything they possibly can in the shop to to try to keep busy during these days. And I suppose it wouldn't be a bad idea to devote some attention to the sprayer if you haven't already. Darn good advice there. That's for sure. You know, get, get get your sprayer lined up, ready to go, cleaned up, because once it does get, get fit, we need to be getting after these weeds. They're, they're getting big. We're getting more and more annuals starting to come out of the ground now. Water hemp, we're starting to see some water hemp, especially in central Illinois, southern Illinois, central Illinois, and starting to get northern Illinois. We're starting to see our nemesis water hemp peeking out of the ground now. So that definitely changes some of our herbicide programs for burn down when we start seeing those, those annual weeds come out of the ground. 
As we go along here, I think the, some of the uh, analysts are expecting on Monday we'll have probably no more than 40% of the intended corn acreage of the country planted this year. And some people think that's kind of an aggressive number, but there'll still be a lot of acres to cover. As we go along, if there are those fields that producers just cannot get planted, how will they be uh, changing their focus on weed control? Yeah, that's really going to depend on the weed species that are that are in the field and, and what their plans are is as far as if they have to switch crops from, from corn to soybeans or or if there's something else that they're going to have to do, maybe they're thinking about having to put a cover crop on later in the season. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, but but there's a, uh, obviously that's going to change what herbicides we, we can use uh, that, uh, that may give us the burn down one that we need and control the weeds, but not have a, a residual that lingers on that, that could affect some of those crops that we may plant later on. And is, is there are some options, so, so it's good to get with your your local agronomist, your local retailer, uh, BSF uh, salespersons, uh, and tech reps like myself, and, and we can help with those questions and give you the right recommendations. Kurt, it's great to talk to you. We'll look forward to visiting with you again in a week. We appreciate the update. Great. Thanks, Max. BASF Technical Service Representative Kurt Martins. He's based in the Quad Cities area, Orion, as we visited yesterday afternoon while farmers are playing the waiting game. We will look forward to uh, another report next week to bring us up to date. And we'll be back with more here on the Saturday Morning Show. It'll be a different Farm Progress show later this summer with the mergers that have taken place among the companies that serve farmers. There'll be new names, new signs, new logos out there among the more than 600 exhibitors. It'll be the place for the producer to sort it all out. The Farm Progress show dates this year are August 27th through the 29th. The show will be back at Decatur, Illinois, the 66th annual Farm Progress show. Keep an eye on the website for updates, farmprogressshow.com. We ended the market week yesterday with lean hog contracts trading lower, but cattle contracts and feeder cattle contracts were higher. At the Board of Trade, though, wheat, corn, and soybeans all ended lower in yesterday's trade. Back with news coming up here on WGN. And that's our time for this morning. As always, we thank Bob Ferguson for handling the engineering chores, and we thank you for listening. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.